Welcome to Shit Your Teenagers Won't Tell You, a podcast about everything you need to know about teens. I'm Kathy. And I'm Meredith. And we speak teenager. Uh, did we also mention that we're best friends? We've worked as admission officers, prep school administrators, and most importantly, have coached thousands of teens. In other words, we have seen it all. So join us every week as we give you the lowdown on all the shit your teenager isn't telling you. Because trust us, there's a lot of it. And if you don't know what to do with the teenagers in your life, don't worry. We've got your back. everybody welcome to yet another episode of shit your teenagers won't tell you and today meredith and i hi meredith hello hi everyone hello. hi everyone hello <laughs> so meredith and i are here with another one of our wonderful friends and fellow village coaches Susie, who is amazeballs and we love her so much and are so happy. She's part of our happy little family. And we got to talking. We're like, Susie, you need to be on the podcast. You need to be on the podcast. What are we going to talk about? What are we going to talk about? And she's like, you know what would be great? I could talk about raising queer kids because I've got two of them. And I thought, OMG, that is amazing because what a helpful and Unique experience timely. that is time and timely, timely for sure. People trying timely. to come for queer kids, ridiculous. Yeah, I just read a report from Challenge Success. Some of our favorite folks doing the work at Challenge Success, Success around teen mental health, and we are in a mental health crisis in this country, right? And particularly for queer kids. They look at the rise of mental health challenges. Queer kids are at risk, right? And so we need to know how to support them as parents, as administrators, as teachers, as educators. So anyways, we thought it would be great to have Susie on to talk about her experience, her firsthand experience. And she's also an educator, right? And so she's worked in schools. She's worked in prep schools. She's worked for... CBOs. She's worked on the college side. So you have a breadth of experience to share today. So Susie, I've hyped you up. (laughs) (laughs) What's it like being the parent of two awesome queer kids? Because I see them on Facebook and they're doing some cool things. Yes. Well, thank you for having me on. I can't profess to have any wisdom per se, but I have some insights and some observations and some lived experience that hopefully will help carry this conversation. But yeah, well, you know, I think when you become a parent, you have all of these dreams and hopes for your children. And I think for one of mine was that I hoped my children would have easier lives than I had. And I think discovering as, you know, one by one, they came out to me, I realized, oh, maybe their lives won't be as easy. So I think the first thing that I learned as a parent is that all the kind of expectations or hopes and dreams that you might have for your child, it really isn't something predictable. And that even with queer kids, they could be happy. And and I know a lot of times it's shaded as, you know, queer kids having more mental health problems or more at risk. And certainly they are as a group, but individually, I know some really wonderful stories. And, and I think my own kiddos are great examples of kind of happy, well-supported kiddos that have normal problems and cause normal 
angst issue, you know, just all the kind of normal things, but also with kind of problems that aren't present in non-queer kids. So I I guess I just want to say that, that all of these hopes and dreams that you have kind of when you have queer kids at first, it might feel like, oh my gosh, I can't have the same dreams. But I guess I would say that you could still have the same kinds of expectations from queer kids as you do non-queer kids. So that's the first thing I would say. And I also would say that to protect the privacy of my kiddos, I'm not going to really, I'm not going to talk about their names and I'm not going to talk about their ages. I will just say that one's a teenager and one's a tween right now. And so I, I don't have adult queer kids quite yet, but um, so I'm in the process and I'm ever learning as we go along in this journey. I would love to talk about, well, I'd love to just hear more about the coming out process. So I have many friends with queer or trans kids, and some of them are like, oh yeah, I knew that that my kid was gay since they were two. And others, it was surprising and it took a long time for the student to sort of work up the energy to you know, say something. And in even other cases, someone else outed their child and it wasn't, you know, sadly, it wasn't sort of the child's decision or on timing or who knew or that kind of thing. So I guess what I would love to know is as a parent, how did you feel and what was going through your mind when your kids came out to you? And what kind of advice would you give parents for how to move through those moments if their child or if their child already has come out to them. Before you answer that, Susie, Mayor, can you define queer? I was just thinking like maybe some parents who are listening or Susie define what queer means. And when we use that term, what are we talking about? Yeah, Meredith, you go for it and then I'll answer the question. Okay. So one of the things that how I would define queer is I would sort of use the term queer as kind of an umbrella term to describe folks who do not identify as cisgender potentially or heterosexual. So that could mean they identify as gay or trans, or maybe they're just gender neutral or curious. They don't know yet. They don't identify as any one thing yet. They're sort of figuring it out, especially if we're talking about it in the context of younger people. So that's how I define queer Susie, would you add to that or what would you, or take away anything I just said? I love that definition. So anybody who's not feeling like they could label themselves as either cis or straight, I think anywhere along that spectrum is anybody who could claim that they're queer. So yeah, Mm -hmm. I love that. And cis, for those of you listening who, (laughs) Meredith and I both have taught sex ed, so we know a lot about this. And she's parenting two queer kids, so she knows a lot about the terminology. But cisgender means that you identify with the gender and the sex organs you were born with. You have female sex organs and you identify. You're assigned at birth. And then Mm -hmm. you also feel that you are female. So that's cisgender. Right. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead, Susie. Right. So my particular journey, my oldest is transgender and my youngest is gay. And so two different experiences, I would say, and two different journeys, I think. So with my oldest, just we thought that honestly, that she was probably gay when she was like something was different. 
ever since she was little, like, oh, something's different, you know, and we were just like, oh, she's gay, probably, whatever. And then as she was growing up, she would say things like, oh, you know, when I grow up, I want to be just like you, mommy, right? And she was assigned male at birth. And as she was a young child, she was like, you know, I want to grow out my hair. I don't want short hair. I'd be like, okay. But she was never kind of girly in the sense of wanting dresses or glitter or pink or anything, you know, that was, I think some other families that have trans identifying kids, their kids were much more adamant and stereotypically kind of wanting things of the other gender, right? And we just didn't have that experience. We just were like, oh, something, something. And, but she definitely wanted longer hair and she definitely knew she wasn't a boy. So as she was growing older, like kind of in, yeah, in kindergarten, she, you know, they had a project and they had like a, you know, like all about me thing. And remember she was presenting as a boy and she came home and it was all about Frozen and it was all about like loving kind of more girly things. And I, you know, we're as parents, we're like, sure, great. We love Frozen or maybe sometimes that (laughs) Let It Go song, maybe that Let It Go song was, yeah. Do you really love those songs that much? After a while, no. Not after the 20th It's a lovely, right, after, right. But we do things for our children. And, you know, and for me, I was like, okay, well, we'll see. We'll see as she grows older, if she keeps on, you know, saying more things, sure. Like maybe when she's a teenager, we'll figure out if she wants to really do this thing. And, you know, I look back and like, remember folks, I was an educator. I was in higher ed. I worked with trans kids. I was in uh, secondary schools and I worked with trans kids and I still didn't get it that at a young age that kids could know, right? Because I was one of those people that were like, oh, you know, we'll figure it out, you know, because maybe perhaps because I was working with teenagers, I thought they had, she had to wait until she was a teenager to kind of do this. And by chance, we had a babysitter, like a babysitter for the summer, watching our two kiddos. And the babysitter was like, you should really talk to your child about the whole growing up hair and, you know, being a girl thing. And I was like, okay. So one day, you know, I asked her, like we sat and we held hands and I said, okay, let's close our eyes and let's just listen to our voices, talk to each other. And, you know, I started asking questions like, oh, what's your favorite this? Or what's, you know, like, what's your favorite color? And what's your, you know, and do you like this or that? And then we came to the question, like, do you feel like a boy or a girl? And she said, well, I like boy things, but I feel like a girl. I like both girl and boy things, but I feel like I'm a girl. And I was like, okay, do you want for other people to know you're a girl, like to think you're a girl too, or to know this about you? And she's like, yes. And I said, okay, all right, then let's do it. You know, let's get some clothes. And, you know, at that age, it was clothes and hair and just socially transitioning. And then I also contacted our wonderful gender clinic in our area and started getting, you know, support from a doctors because I had no idea what I was doing. And so I, I needed professional help and, you know, confirmed there, right. That she is, you know, I remember the doctor being like, congrats, you have a girl, congrats, you know, you have a girl <laughs> on your hand. I'm like, Oh, thanks. <laughs> and making that transition. And so she's been living in her truth and as a girl since she was six. And if not for that babysitter, who said, you know, Mm -hmm. Susie, I understand you want to wait, like you want to wait until she's a teenager, but you should really talk to her. Like if not for that prompting, 
I don't know if she would be this happy, well-adjusted child today, because I think a large part of that is because we affirmed her when she was young and that she just was able to live, you know, as who she is. Mm -hmm. And of course, now she's a teenager. So we followed the, you know, advice of the doctors in terms of puberty blocking. So we -hmm. spent years puberty blocking and making sure that she really wanted to be affirmed as a girl and then started estrogen, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're in this journey. And I think being trans is very difficult in this moment in time. It feels, I think, Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that I'm used to as a woman of color is being politicized, but it's a whole different story being politicized, you know, just with mm-hmm. that kind of intersection of of this heated, really political debate of, you know, whether or not trans people even exist and whether or not trans kids exist and all of that. And in fact, they do. I know a lot of them. I'm obviously in the trans community. We know my community is is so full of mm-hmm. trans and gender nonconforming folks. But for folks who don't know anybody, I can tell you that everybody's experiences are different. And I think and valid. And for me, it was an education. So I had to be educated from doctors, from books, from my own child about this, because I don't know what it feels. I'm cisgender. I don't know what it feels like to be trans. I have no, you know, idea. Mm -hmm. I think the, you know, I think a lot of times queer parents, especially trans parents are challenged by some other folks like, oh, you know, you're spoiling your children. Like you're the parent, you have to tell them what to do. And I think about that a lot, right? Like, okay, you know, some people feel like I'm a very permissive parent because I allowed my child to be transgender. And I think part of that is, is, you know, it's nothing different than when your child tells you my stomach hurts or something feels weird, you know, something in my body or, you know, it's sort of also like being left-handed, right? You just kind of know that you're supposed to write with that hand and, but how do you know I'm right-handed? How would I have known? Like, I have all of these questions, but the reality is, is that the science and also just the lived experiences of people, if we listen, it's very obvious that it's just something that you know. And sometimes you have to take time to figure out because society puts gender norms on, you know, kids know gender norms since, you know, by the age of two, they understand mm-hmm. that. They, um, It's fascinating when we think about all of these things. So I think that's something as a queer parent is really, you know, really figuring out like, okay, not necessarily being, I guess, crushed by kind of the things that are going on right now and not being fearful of how you're parenting and being confident in trusting your child and trusting the process and trusting doctors and getting help, right? And getting support. I think all of those things in terms of parenting are really important for not only your child's health, but your own health mm-hmm. and your own kind of confidence in being a parent. Mm-hmm. I think that's amazing. I'm hearing so much trust and acceptance. And was that, would you say it was true for both you and your husband? You were both on the same page? My husband took a little bit more time coming around. I think one of the things that I remember him saying was being gay, we could do gay, right? We get like, <laughs> I could like, cause again, remember I told you we thought she was gay, right? Yeah, like, right. Oh, she's probably not going to like, like, you know, it's yeah, yeah. not really straight, but he's like, gay is one thing, but this mm-hmm. being tra- like, yeah. this yeah. is, we can't do this. We can't let her do this. And I was like, well, mm. It's not that we're letting, this is who she is. So I guess we could stop her from presenting a certain way, but she's still going to be inside 
Mm-hmm. So, you know, like, I guess mm-hmm. we could stop the outside part, but the inside part, we're not going to be able to change. So this is our decision now. You know, this is our crossroads. Like, do we let her live matching, you mm-hmm. know, her insides to her outsides? Yeah. Or do we just have her not live like that and see what happens? Or, you know, what do we want to see happen? And he definitely, I think, you know, he has his own, I think there's all sorts of things about being a man and then not Mm -hmm. wanting to be one, like just societally, like just the society in which we both grew up. And also he has a very conservative family. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. it meant it felt scary, I think, to think about just taking those steps to affirm her. Because it would mean it would come at a price and it has come at a price and it's it's had consequences that are hard, right? That we wouldn't have wanted. Again, the whole dream thing that we wouldn't have wanted for our children in terms of the pain or the separation or the, you know, any of that. But But we know who she is. And I think the one thing that I did want my children to be able to do that I think we all hopefully want for our children is for them to live an authentic and fulfilling life. And this was a big part of um, how we did that for her. That's amazing. It just reminds me of so many of our conversations on this podcast come down to some version of like requesting that parents see their children for who they really are. And that requires accepting on some level, deeply, I think, that your children are, in fact, their own autonomous humans. And I know that sounds really obvious and really simple, but I'm sure as a parent, and Kathy and I are not parents, I'm sure on some level that's easier for us to say than it is to practice. But like, just how... I think about all of the things we talk about on this podcast and what are the natural consequences when you don't accept the kid that's right in front of you. Anyway, that's all I was going to say. I don't really have a question. Go ahead, Kathy. I agree with you. I think that, you know, what you've done, Susie, is you're making it sound. I mean, I know that we have a half hour show and I'm sure there was a lot more pain and suffering, right, to go through this transition with your daughter and for you and your husband. I'm sure there's many hard conversations. I'm sure there are difficult conversations with family. But at the heart of it, I think it's unconditional love for your child and wanting to support who they are, right? And you not having a context for that, I think a lot of parents can relate to that for you know when they have kids who are different than them right, are different because they didn't work as hard as I did when I was a kid. They aren't as happy as I was when I was a kid. Like whatever the thing might be, I think it's really hard for parents to step out of that context of just their own lived experience and think about your children, like Meredith saying, as an autonomous human whose lived experience is entirely different and may have zero correlation to your experience, right, growing up. And I think that's actually so hard for parents to accept. I think it is. I mean, my context of seeing parents or observing parent behavior has been through the college admission process, right? Because I spent so many years in admission and then also in college counseling and then 
doing scholarship work for the CBO and all of that. So, and we know that so, always brings out the best in parenting, I, right? And I would see the worst <laughs> in parenting. Sometimes I would see the worst in parenting, and then I'd have glimmers of hope from the handful of parents who really let their children be who they were and trusted them. And even though there was a lot of fear around, is this the right decision? And can I let them do this? And all of those questions that when they didn't live in fear or kind of their own expectations, and they let their children figure out how to live and figure out what was good for them and who they wanted to be and what impact they wanted to make in the world, those children and parents and the relationship was always so fantastic, right? And amazing, like just amazing. Mm -hmm. And those kids just, I would explain it as peace, having a peace, Mm -hmm. even though they're still figuring things out and they definitely, they could still have some moments of worry and pain in their lives. But when they live like that, right, it is a gift, right? And that's what I wanted to give my children was that gift. And even though it scared me, it scares me to this day, the questions I ask, you know, will someone ever really love her, right? Mm-hmm. Because of mm-hmm. all of the noise in society. I know she will. I know, she, you know, plenty of people love her already, but like, but those are the fears, you know, mm-hmm. those are the fears. Is she going to be safe? Is someone going to want to kill her? Mm-hmm. You know, like those are mm-hmm. the things, you know, so suddenly the questions have become different and more weighty and scary, mm-hmm. right? Like sometimes other transparents and I talk about like how little in terms of like how big the dreams were for or can still be for your cisgender kids even if they are gay like my my younger gay Mm -hmm. one like I don't fear for her the way I fear for my older daughter Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. like suddenly you just you want them to live and not get killed when Mm -hmm. they go on a date (laughs) you know like that kind of thing like you just it feels like the dreams come smaller but in essence the dreams are bigger right like that she can live a fantastic life right that things will change in the world or she'll change the world or her people will change whatever it is. So I think it's this duality that you tend to live in as a queer parent, particularly, I think, a a trans parent, that you're always living with these big, big competing emotions, worries, thoughts that are different than when you have even a gay kid. Because for some reason, it doesn't feel as scary to have a gay kid. I don't know why. I can't explain why. Maybe one of you can, but I can't explain why. I know why in some ways, but it just, it's a different feeling. And so, you know, I think just challenging ourselves to keep on believing and trusting in truth and authenticity and working through the fear, like just pushing through the fear and pushing through the worries, even when you feel like you don't know what to do. You still have support. Like, I think that's one thing as a queer parent is a parent of queer kids is you really do need to make sure that you're scaffolding just as you scaffold for your children. And we scaffold for our students. We need to scaffold for ourselves when we need support and when we need some, you know, medical support or, you know, like different layers, making sure we have that all in place and accessible is one thing that I would definitely recommend to parents of queer kids. I love that so much, Susie. I want to reach through the screen and give you a big hug. I know. Susie kicks ass so many ways. Yeah, because, you know, you have to be really resilient as a parent, right? Because these fears are real. And I mean, every parent of a child lives every day with a little bit of fear, 
right? Because you love this person so much and you would never want any harm to come to them, right? And I imagine that that's mentally taxing over time and that you have to have, you know, like you're saying, a support system. You have to be having conversations. You need to be communicating, talking about the stuff, taking care of your own mental health so you can take care of your kids' mental health, right? You have to educate yourself. There's just so much. And I think to your question about why gay feels less scary, I think we've just been having that conversation a lot longer, right? And so people understand it. It's like, oh, we see gay. It's more mainstream. It's more normalized. And now the trans conversation, I was just at a an event with some high school friends who have teenage kids now. And we ended up talking about gender expression and sexual identity. And they were like, there's so many terms now. I don't even know. <laughs> I, know. I can't keep track of it all. And I was like, lucky for you. I used to teach sex ed. What do you have questions about? But, you know, like a lot of this, even for people in our gen- I feel young still, but, you know, even for, you know, people in their 40s, it's like, I think we're young, but no, a lot of my friends are way out of touch, right? They're like, I have no clue because... Well, I think also because the three of us on this call have spent our entire careers... In education. ...with (laughs) a demographic that is undergoing rapid change in every possible way. So, you know, in many ways, we're hip to the game because we're on the sort of front lines, right? With the group of people who are discovering their identity. It's not that you don't discover your identity throughout the lifespan, but adolescents in particular are embarking on a very different journey of self-discovery and self-awareness. It made me think, Susie, as you were talking, you know, first of all, I wanted to say, I really appreciate the real honesty. It makes me think of my friends who have to uniquely worry about their kids getting pulled over by the police and how that interaction is going to go versus my friends who don't. Right. And it makes me think about how, when your child, when your daughters are in your home and it's you and your husband, that's a controlled environment, right? Like you can just ooey gooey love on them to pieces. And then they enter society, whether it's school or work eventually, right? So I'm wondering, let's just talk about it in the context of a school setting, right? When you're a parent of queer kids, what do you think is important to kind of look out for in a school environment? Is it just the same as all the other stuff parents need to look out for in a school environment? Or would you say that there might be some different kinds of resources or factors that are important for parents of queer kids to consider. I would add to that from your own experience. What have you seen that you appreciate that you think your schools have done really well? Right. So the first thing is having a set policy, right? So just putting it in writing in terms of these are our kind of rules that we live by that are, again, for trans kids around bathrooms, around locker rooms, around sports, around whatever it is, that you have equitable policies that Mm -hmm. are put into writing so that everyone, if they want to access, if the entire community can access them and know that those are the principles and policies that the institution stands behind. What's even more important is that those policies are actually followed, Followed. you know, followed and, and, honored 
And that's where it gets a little murkier and in terms of how the lived reality of kiddos and families, you know, are experienced within institutions. I've been at a variety of institutions where coming from uh, boarding school to, you know, higher ed to day schools to all single gender environments, right? I worked at a all girls school at one point and they were all on different, even though they had kind of safe policies, I think across the board, I think they were all on different journeys in terms of how well they were able to support queer kids within the community. And I would say that all depends on the leadership and how willing they are to really stand up for, you know, kids that aren't in the majority. Mm -hmm. And sometimes people can feel very strongly about and leadership can get a lot of heat for for standing up for those kids because those kids are few in number and they have the least rights and the least understanding around them. Right. And so I think what we look for as as parents of queer kids always are the the policies first, right? That's that's why we moved, for example, I moved to this district that my kiddos are in is because they had a trans policy. Mm-hmm. But I knew that I wasn't going to be fighting the bureaucracy to get, you know, basic rights for my kiddo, right? That I, That's not what I was going to be fighting. I knew I was going to still be fighting the day-to-day of it and whether or not bullying really counted or, you know, like all of those finer details of like, how do we prove that that was bullying and how do we prove that uh, this parent said this or how do we really prove that they were excluded or, you know, all of those kind of messy, murky mm-hmm. things that happen as kiddos grow up within an institution. But I think that's important. I think under talking to teachers and getting a sense of the culture of, yes, that's the policy, but do teachers generally respect kids, right? In terms of what they say, in terms of if they say, I want to be called this name, or I want to be referred with these pronouns, or I want to wear this sort of thing, right, to school, Mm -hmm. and whether or not they'll be affirmed that way, or not at least abused, or not picked on, or whatever it is. And so I think the reality for all parents of queer kids you should know is that even the most progressive institution will have teachers who don't support queer kids or trans Mm -hmm. kids or whatever, right. Mm -hmm. Who don't really get issues of kids of color who don't get the issues of lower SES socioeconomically, you know, um, Mm -hmm. I guess in the latter, the low socioeconomic kids, there are always going to be those teachers. And it might surprise you that they're not necessarily the older teachers or, you know, they might be Mm -hmm. young, they might be. And just because there are teachers of color or queer teachers don't like, for example, it doesn't mean if there's a gay teacher, it doesn't mean that they actually accept trans kids. So you should know Mm -hmm. that. Right. So you just Mm -hmm. don't, I would say, don't assume. And I think the other thing is just make sure that you know who to contact in terms of the administration and figure out if the administration will have these fights with you. I don't think you'll ever feel 100% supported because usually administrators are straddling a line and you have to understand that. So don't feel like they don't support you, but understand that there are limits to support and understand that you keep on pushing, right? So I just would say, take a balanced approach, take an approach where you know which wins you need to have to keep your kiddo safe and at what point you're ready to leave or find a different place for your kiddo. Mm-hmm. I think having those things outlined for yourself in terms of expectations and where you're going to stand versus, you know, because you can't control the other, you can't control outside circumstances, forces, you could only control what you do. So having those things 
really clear in your mind, I think will, and really clearly communicated with your kiddo. Mm -hmm. So your kiddo understands we're going to go through this process and this is what Mm -hmm. I'm hoping for. Many things might happen, but if it gets to this point, I'm thinking that we need to do X, right? Mm -hmm. And just making sure that you're guiding your kiddo that way, because I think it's very important that you help your kiddo see this process through as much as you're going through the pain that you're protecting them just a little bit, obviously, because you don't, they don't need to know everything, but they still need to know. That's right. Some stuff about the struggle and about the process and to learn from it and hopefully become stronger from it and not more scared. So I think those are the things that I would say. And, and with schools, I would say, you know, I understand I was an administrator. I understand what the many different forces, you know, the many different priorities you have to have. Mm -hmm. And I also think it comes down to how do we treat other human beings? Mm -hmm. So I hope administrators listen to that. I would add as the administrator who's had to work with many trans students and have to navigate. So for example, like I'll give, just give you a practical example that I had to run into a lot as a Dean of students, which really pissed me off supporting a trans student because we had a trans policy and supporting them and their family in the full ways that that policy indicated that we were required to do. And then having other families at the school disliking that, right? And having other families at the school thinking that we we were somehow not tending to their children in the same way. Now, I'll be honest, as the dean of students in a private school, I could more comfortably be like, well, that's bullshit. You don't like it. Go find another school. And that is the kind of dean of students that I was. <laughs> Sorry, if anyone's listening. Yeah, well. Like that doesn't exist in every place. And it just, to me, underscores your point around allyship and solidarity and support, material support, whether that's, and I think for parents listening to this who have queer kids, whether they identify as gay, whether they identify as trans, whether they're questioning their gender identity or their sexual orientation. One of the things I would highly recommend is that even if a school has a policy, you ask, how much experience do you have with this? Like straight up, like, great, you have a trans policy, you have a policy, like, but do you actually have experience doing this? Like, have you worked with a lot of families, one family in the last 10 years or 50 families in the last three years? That I think is something, that was the only thing I wanted to add is there's a difference between, because these issues take on so many different permutations and people approach them in really different ways. You might have policies that keep kids safe, but don't necessarily help kids thrive. Right. And that's very different. So I would just say, if you've got a queer kid and you're kind of weighing out school options or looking at your school and trying to assess the environment, really ask those tough questions. How many times have you actually worked with a family like us? It's really important. And you deserve to know that answer. Yes. I think when I was going, I can only speak from my experience. When I was going through this, so many schools never had to deal with a young kiddo being trans. And so it felt like for me, wherever I went to figure out where she can go to school, it was, well, she would be the first. Mm -hmm. So I'm hoping, knock on wood, you know, now that there are less of those 
experiences for parents that they just have to figure out, well, which one do we want to be? Where do we want to be the first at? Mm -hmm. Like, where's the least harmful place where we could be the first? So hopefully Mm -hmm. that is a great question, Meredith, that parents can ask. And hopefully they'll get an answer. Like, actually, we have some good experience, you know, and get that assurance. And I have to say in my own, we were always the first. Mm -hmm. So that was hard to mm-hmm. but that's why it was so important that they had a policy uh-huh. right yeah, right so we weren't starting from there that we could still be right. the first and not have to help them write a policy because right. I didn't have that in me I also knew my limits like I, I didn't have that in me that I couldn't sit there and be the administrator yeah. you're like I'm already an administrator at school. <laughs> I can't also be the administrator yeah. at your school <laughs> no as much as you know Maybe I could have made a business out of it. Who knows? But it was not something I had bandwidth for. So, yeah. Well, Susie, it's been so lovely having you on the podcast today and sharing your wisdom. And, you know, at the beginning, you said, I don't know how much wisdom I have. Well, I can tell you for a fact, you have tons of wisdom, not just on this subject, but just you are a wise person who has lived a lot of life and you're resilient and you are, you know, as a parent, from my perspective, and I, I think probably from Meredith's too, you are doing all the right things and loving your kids. And one of the things that you said that really struck me and I think applies to all parents is that you're not trying to shelter your daughter from the experience, right? You are preparing her. You're giving her skills and knowledge that she needs to navigate life as a trans person, Right. And that's so important for parents everywhere, helping your kids, giving them the skills, modeling, showing them what it's like to live life, make hard decisions, make good choices. Right. Stay safe. Those are all that's something that every parent should be doing for their kid. And I think you're doing it with so much love and grace. And it just makes me love you so much more. (laughs) So glad we did this. You're the best. We love and we will have you back because now. We know that you're excellent on a podcast and all of this wisdom to share. We're definitely going to have you back and share more of your wisdom on other topics. Oh, you're so kind. So anyways, it's been lovely to have you. I hope parents who are listening that you've gotten a lot of great food for thought from our episode today. And we will definitely have Susie back on. And if you have questions about anything we talked about today, please email us because we'd love to help clarify anything that you're not understanding or share resources with you. Yes. Thank you for having me. You're so welcome. (laughs) Thanks, Suze. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Susie. Thank you.